Welcome back to the Tough Love Terry podcast and welcome to 2021. We are in season two of this podcast and I want to thank you for being here. I cannot wait for this year to unfold. Uh, Things that you can look forward to include interviews with some of my favorite humans, musings by myself, and of course me reading my written material in kind of a audibles type situation. Um, Yeah. So let's just get into it, shall we? All right, before we get into the actual interview, I want to introduce you to my guest. So Ez Powers is my first guest of the year, and I'm super excited. And Ez is a colleague and an online friend. We have yet to meet in person, but I'm certain when we meet in person, it will be just as awesome. Uh, Ez is a 27-year-old agender photographer and mentor who uses they-them pronouns, and they teach things like intro to disability, fatismia, and how to work with the 2SLGBTQIA community for photographers. So they do different mentoring type sessions for photographers to help them strive towards intersectionality, um, which is really awesome. And one of the reasons why I reached out to Ez um, to to help me with the Boudoir University. So as you'll hear in the interview, we talk about the two different courses that Ez has uh, had a hand in creating to make the Seven Pillar Program a thing, which was amazing. And their passion for the topics is uh, unparalleled. For sure. If you think I get excited and geek out on things like, um, you know, fatismia, fatphobia, uh, body image and stuff like that, like Ez is up there with me. And that is why I think I strongly connected with them. In other in other things, uh, Ez has a project called the I Woke Up Like This Project, which we talk about in the interview. But I highly, highly, highly encourage you to check out their work because, as you'll hear in the interview, I actually told Ez that I would love for them to photograph my body because of the way they do such an amazing job of showcasing bodies, just being bodies, and how cool that is. Um, so yeah, let's let's just let's just get into the interview. Enough of me. All right. There we go. Awesome. Thank you for being here, Ez. I'm super excited. Uh, you are the first guest on my podcast. Oh, no, that's not true. Really? I, had, I had Jill before. That's true. Uh, I shouldn't say that. But you're my first, like, real guest. No offense to Jill. She, I'm a real guest. <laughs> yeah, she she doesn't listen to the podcast, so it's okay. Um, but, yeah, thank you so much for being here. And I'm really excited to talk with you today. Um, for those of you that don't know yet, we're coming out with the Boudoir University, which is like a little brain noodle I had last summer. And as is one of our esteemed educators for two courses, uh, which is super exciting. So I've had the pleasure of listening to your voice um, quite a lot over the last few months as I've like put, put these things together. And I'm not going to lie, I learned a lot from your course material from the one that I've received so far. And um, it was really eye opening to me. So I want to thank you for the effort that you put into that, uh, like you do with everything. You put uh, a lot of emotional labor into the work that you do. So I want to talk to you a little bit about um, your project, the I Woke Up Like This. It was It started as a project. Is that correct? Yes, it started in 2014, somewhere around, I can't remember if it was 2013 that I started doing that or 2014, but 
the project just blew up overnight and it 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 really spoke to me in a lot of ways that changed who I was as a person. So obviously after doing it for so long, I figured, you know, fine art nude photography is very close to boudoir. Yeah. <laughs> so I um, naturally fell into that category and I've been doing it ever since under the name I woke up like this. That's fantastic. So what was kind of the impetus to start the project to begin with? Like what, what kind of made you be like, hey, I want to take pictures of naked humans uh, in the morning kind of thing. Yeah, it, um, it's sort of like a particular setup. I have my system where like I shoot like at, like right after they've woken up in the state that they wake up in. And I make sure that they don't put on makeup the night before, like some tried. <laughs> and you're like, no, take that off. <laughs> I was like, oh, no, no, because I let one slide through. And oh, the critics, the critics. Oh, came. really? Uh, the other people were really invested in the process mm. of how each session was getting done and like how strict I was about like not doing anything to alter yourself yeah. for society. So it started because I had a friend who um, I took nude portraits of. She was the first person I ever did a nude portrait of. And um, we were roommates at the time. And she just came into my room. We took some of the, the direct sunlight coming in through the window and just illuminated her midsection. And it was such a beautiful photograph of, like, her and she wasn't just like, I haven't even showered yet. I haven't even brushed my hair. Like, I don't want to take a picture. And I was like, I don't care. Get over here. So we ended up doing that portrait. And her response to it is what made me want to do more because Amazing. she wasn't happy. She okay. was very, very critical of herself. And she said, you know, my boobs are, they're too long and they're too saggy. And my belly has stretch marks on it and I'm fat and, you know, not in the empowering way, but in the, I hate myself type of way. And it just really tore me down because like she had been one of those figures, those bigger bodies in my life that had taught me to love myself no matter what size I was. So in that effort, I decided I was going to research this phenomenon a little bit and do these interviews with each person I photographed. And I would measure their self-esteem going into these sessions and coming out so that I could gauge like just how much the experience in itself would impact the way they viewed themselves in the moment. Wow. So when, when she, um, yeah, it can be hard as a photographer when you're like, oh, my God, this is the most beautiful photo I've ever taken. And then the person in the photos like, uh, I'm not a fan of the way I look in the photo. Right. Like, what? <laughs> so what what is your kind of process then for for the afterwards when they disclose to you that, oh, that makes me uncomfortable to see myself like that? Um, do you just sit with them kind of in that feeling or do you offer them advice or what kind of is your process afterwards? Um, I've had, like, I've done nearly 60 women and at this point, like there are, there have been a couple of them that have come out with a negative, uh, self-esteem experience. And usually it comes down to their own stage of, of grief with their body, like grieving over the loss of control that we perceive ourselves to have over our bodies. Like 
it's taken away when you see yourself in that state. Yeah. And it really, it can, it can be overpowering for some people. And in that moment, I just explained to them, like, what you're feeling is a little bit of shock right now. And I want you to sit with that feeling and really validate it. But I want you to also push yourself forward towards accepting bare minimally what you look like in these photographs, because this is you and it's not going to change. And even if it does change, you still have to figure out how to love that changed version of yourself. Yeah, that's fantastic. Because I think that's something that a lot of photographers struggle with when clients don't like their photos of themselves. Um, is they're like, I don't know what to say. Like, what do I do with them? And I think the point of validating their emotions are okay is really important and not just to gloss over with like, no, you're beautiful. You look amazing. Uh -huh. like, because that doesn't really help that that get, makes them feel almost a, a, a second amount of shame because now they don't just feel bad about their body. They feel bad about feeling bad about their body. Um, right. I feel shame about their shame about their shame. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. It's just like this big spiral. I'm like a very big, like in my studio, like shame is like banned from my studio. We're not allowed to be like, we're allowed to be like ashamed of ourselves, but we're, I, I disagree and reiterate and rephrase as I've been taught in cognitive behavioral therapy to take like the assertion about yourself and rephrase it into something a little bit more productive towards the journey of self-love. Yeah, that's fantastic. Reframing is such an important technique for people to learn and utilize. But um, yeah, so I think that's awesome that you're also able to take from your own experience then of cognitive behavioral therapy and say, how can this information help my clients? Because um, I do a similar thing with the positive psychology stuff that I've learned is like, oh, you know what, this is not just going to benefit me. This is literally going to help out um, clients to understand a bit more why they feel the way that they do and maybe different right. ways of thinking about it without telling them how to think, but rather saying, is there a way we can think about this differently? Um, and offering different perspectives or point of views that maybe they never had. So yeah, I have to tell you, when you sent me your gallery of images, I was like, oh yeah, because I um, needed some for the website and stuff. And I was like, oh yeah, these are going to be beautiful. And I was like, oh my God god these are stunning like i was like i want as to photograph me like this is happening like uh, you i want i want you i want to see how you see my body like i think i think that's the cool gift that we as photographers have is we understand that like this is just the way i see you in this moment the way i see the light on you in this moment like we can kind of remove ourselves some of us can from right. that. So like for me, it's really exciting to see how other people would see me and and remove the personal piece from that, if that makes sense. So it's like yeah. just because that's how you see me, which is probably the most natural way that I've seen people photographed, FYI, like the work that you Whoa. do. Well, thank you. That's what like it's beautiful. So um, I'll share um, I'll share a link uh, in the podcast information so people you can go check out um, as his website uh, to get that information and see all the beautiful images there. But yeah, I was like, you're gonna photograph my belly one day, so it's gonna happen. <laughs> yeah. So thank you, thank you for that beauty that you do. So let's talk a little bit about your advocacy work. Um, that's why I call it or activism work what what would you say that you what do you call yourself 
that way? Um, I like to stick with advocacy right now. Um, activism is a little more, actually, you know what? I could call myself either. It doesn't really matter to me at this point as educator slash advocacy is around the terms I like to use. Yeah. So, yeah. So when, because the photography industry is very much built on Eurocentric beauty standards. And we have seen this over the last, and being in Facebook groups definitely compounds this information. Uh, like seeing the same, right? Like seeing the same bodies shared all the time um, and, and whatnot. It can be disheartening sometimes to be like, yes, that is some of the bodies that exist, but like, where are these other bodies? So what for you kind of made you start to kind of speak up, I guess, about your experiences and, and now you offer mentoring and things like that to photographers around like how they could be more inclusive. Like, what was it for you? What did you recognize in the industry that you're like, they need help? <laughs> <sighs> well, um, I guess it was about the time that Ferguson happened. I started realizing a lot of my own privileges and seeing just how little I really knew as someone who used to think that they knew everything. So <laughs> I feel that, <laughs> um, you know, young twenties, me was very ego filled and that broke very quickly. Once all of that stuff, black lives matter started to really like become a pervasive force in the movement towards equality for people of color, but specifically black lives. Yeah. Um, but that drew me to um, the intersection of race and my project actually drew me towards the intersection of fatness. And um, from there, it just sort of increased over time over the last like seven, eight years or so I've just, gradually educated myself about each intersection from intersectional activism, which is what I practice. Um, and from there, uh, I just realized our, you know, as a photographer who runs a photography business, who is also doing all this work, I realized our entire community was absent of this knowledge. There was, nobody doing anything with ableism 10 years ago. There was yeah. nobody doing anything with race before all of these events in the, the relatively close future, like present have happened. Yeah. So it just sort of dawned on me that like, you know, I'm not a race educator, but like I will always advocate that everybody educate themselves on that before they tackle other intersections because it is the most useful intersection to be like fluent in. Not that I consider myself fluent. I think that's a lifelong journey. Agreed. <laughs> but um, when it comes to ableism and when it comes to transphobia and when it comes to uh, Eurocentric beauty ideals, our boudoir community is very centered on those things and um just by participating in groups and stuff like you know my work isn't for the average boudoir photographer um fine art photographers love it but <laughs> um the average like sexy like dolled up uh lust filled 
you know, branding doesn't really like my work. So yeah. I'll be posting in these groups filled with those people and filled with white, thin bodies. And I just find myself like getting like crickets. And, you know, it really, it says volumes about the communities that I put my work out into. Yeah. I definitely agree with that. Similarly, like my, my biggest work has been around just showcasing fat bodies because that is the intersection, the one intersection that I exist at. Um, so that is something that like, I, in 2014, I think it was, I like looked around at the photography industry and was like, Hey, where are all the fat people? Like, I'm like, where, where are people that look like me? Like they're, they're not here, but like, but we exist. Like, why don't we have photos? Like I don't out there who are fat and who could be taking beautiful selfies of themselves and contributing to the lack of bodies that they get when they when they're commercial because honestly like we we also need to talk about the problem where like there's less fat people coming to get their photos done because they're told they're less worthy of getting them done well exactly and that was like the biggest thing in my first year of business it was really important for me to be like look at it. it doesn't like your body can look like anything but your story is worthy of documentation like that's if if you don't go get your photo taken and and like say how you want to be photographed all we're going to see for fat bodies is headless fatties on the news like that's going to be right. our historical representation um going forward and i don't want i don't want to be complicit in that like no let's see bodies doing like amazing shit in the world you know like let let's rewrite our stories the way that we know them to be actually true instead of the way other people are writing them for us and within that um i've been able to see like a lot of similar to you like i noticed like well yes that is the one intersection that i can understand there was a lot that i was not understanding um at all these other intersections of oppression that i definitely had and have to learn a lot around um and you were you were somebody that i think i sent this to you in a message but i was like like you inspire me because you ask the hard questions without like, even though it might be scary for you, but you ask the hard questions that a lot of people usually would sit in silence. Um, does that make sense? Like, like I'm I really willing to fuck up. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But it's, it's like, it's inspirational almost. And I don't want to say it, that that's what it is, but it's like, when, when I'm like, oh, like I'm thinking this thing and I don't know if it's right. Like part of me is like, don't say it because you're going to get like trashed on the internet. And so I'm like, wait a minute. But if I'm asking this question, somebody else is also thinking it. Right. So I think There's always people in different stages of knowledge when it comes to intersectionalism. Like there's nobody who knows all the answers and like anyone who's pretending to or pretending like even as a mentor, I don't tell people I'm some sort of expert on everything. Like I am a person who has like a decade of knowledge about it, which is just happens to be useful. <laughs> well, and that's, that's a big thing too, for myself that I've tried to make sure that I never taught anything beyond my scope of what I knew. Um, and instead would refer to people that, 
know better, which is why when I was like, I want to create the boudoir university, I was like, I can't teach all of this shit and nor should I, uh, like, let me find the people that are already doing the work in these and have the experiences of existing in these, um, in these experiences, essentially, this is how they experience the world. So let them tell the stories and what can be done. Right. Isn't there like a phrase, like, uh, nothing for us without us or something like that, that like a lot of people. Yeah. And that was kind of the premise of why I wanted to bring you in as well as like Tamaya and, and people that were already doing the work. Why? I, I don't know. Like, I want to learn. Like, teach me. That's why, that's why I'm like, this is just an excuse for me to fucking learn. <laughs> it's like, I'll build a whole system and a whole platform just so I can learn from people. Um, but I'm totally okay to do that. It, it's working. Um, but yeah, so I think like, but, but the fact that you're so open and honest about your own, like when you do fuck up, you're like, this is what I did do. And you share that on social media, which I think is... Um, really awesome to see because it is hard for people to admit when they recognize that they fucked up. Like it's humbling. I, I guess I, I, I just feel obligated to tell people like, so they don't make the same mistakes as I've made. Like I, I want to avoid, I want to mitigate as much harm as I can when it comes to like doing intersectional work is mitigating harm. Like that's all it is. And it's it's unlearning behaviors so that you can be a more tolerable person to be around for everyone and i'd say tolerable in like the nicest way possible <laughs> yeah no i know uh, but i think i think like the role modeling of it is what is what does it for me like i love that you are willing to be like ah because then that gives that that gives me a bit more courage to to say when i fuck up do you know what i mean like seeing like they did it so i can do it too like um just like just like the same reason when we show photos of clients right like it's literally that same thing of clients of different bodies like look they did it so you can do it too um but it's the same thing with this work of saying i don't know everything here's what i do know here's what i'm learning and actively trying to do so i i just want to thank you for being that person in my newsfeed that is like you don't have to know everything but you also should be striving to try your best to learn everything does that make sense yes yes that's a good message that i'm trying to get out to everyone right now <laughs> yeah you don't have to be right you just want to try your best <laughs> and don't be ignorant that's the other one but yeah so now for yourself um what are what are some like you had mentioned a little a few of the hurdles that you've come across um with your work in the photography industry just like sharing it not getting as much likes or accolades in the in the particular boudoir industry but in the finer industry um what other areas do you find like I don't know. I find for people that do more than just take pretty pictures, it is, it's almost like it's very hard to feel like we belong in this industry. Would you agree with that? I would definitely agree with that because everybody just wants to make pretty ideal images and artwork has always meant more than that to me. It's not about aesthetics as much as it is about the story I'm telling yeah and like those interviews that you do alongside your work I think like the fact that you're like here are the photos but here is the story right I think mm -hmm. the, the way you follow through on the sharing of the content is just as 
empowering, I guess would be the best way to say it, that it's not just like to show people that it's not just about the photograph, but rather the stories that created these particular photographs. So when you go in to do these particular photos for the I Woke Up Like This project, do you talk to people beforehand or do you have a process beforehand to kind of figure out what their expectations are? Um, I, the, the beforehand process is a lot of emailing back and forth, like the original contact form that on, that was on my website, like had a specific part for them to tell their story of why they're doing what they're doing and give me like a little more details about like their trauma history and like what sets them apart as a person versus like somebody who may have not experienced all these things firsthand, like they really had the opportunity to outline their story to me beforehand. And me knowing that story allowed me to know what questions to ask ahead of time and really do my research on their intersections of oppression and be able to relate to them a little bit more and make that session that much more comfortable for people because comfort is like my number one focus when I'm doing these sessions, like any photo session whatsoever, like your comfort is 110% my focus. That's awesome. So yeah, I think doing that preparation work ahead of time is super important um, for that. And so I think that's something that a lot of people like they send out the questionnaires or like, here, how, how do you want to dress? And how do you want to like, like the more topical questionnaires, but I don't think people are necessarily, it, maybe it's equipped to, or comfortable to dig into the deeper stuff. But I also think that that is the, you almost, you need to know that uh, before. So, you know, like if I say something that could, make their mood change in an instant or do something that like is just part of my daily routine is like how I shoot. Like, I think it's very important to that open communication. So I think that's a great thing. And that's something um, you, you offer that as part of your mentoring. Is that correct? Like you offer to share that questionnaire with people. Is that? Yeah, I have, uh, it's the interview workflow, mm. uh, body love interview workflow. Uh, it's basically um, a one hour session with me going over the process of interviewing a person that may or may not have trauma and um, lightly going over intersectionalism so that you have like an uh, intro to it when you're approaching these uh, different interviews with your clients. Um, and so you can stay on topic and understand where to focus your attention when you're interviewing people and how to ask follow-up questions when they give you a really good answer to a question and you want to go a little bit further into it. So, and at the very end, you get a worksheet with all of my questions that I usually ask, like my baseline questions. Like, so you have some sort of template for yourself to like go do it on your own and actually utilize it versus, you know, just doing this mentor session and then saying you're going to do it and then not really doing it. And then like, I don't know where to start. Yeah. That happens a lot with coaching and stuff like that, where people are like, uh, I have all the information, but I don't really know what to do with it. <laughs> so I think that's awesome that you give, you give something tangible. That's like, now you can put this into practice. Like now go be free, uh, which is really cool. Um, so yeah. So I want to talk a little bit about you now and not necessarily the work that you do. So um, I want, I want to know, can you tell me about a client who has changed your life or shifted your perspective of the information, like of 
like opened your mind to more like either intersectional work or like that really just like sat with you? Um, it's, can it be a subject? Yeah, sure. Um, when I first started doing photography for money and started my business, I was 16 years old and I did it because I had a friend who was working on, uh, was teaching in Kenya and realized that her town didn't have clean water. And uh, she needed a photographer to photograph all the water sources. So they pulled some strings and I got to go. Wow. But along the way, we ended up meeting this little boy who walked five kilometers by himself with everything that he owned on his back to ask us to scholarship him for school. Oh, and wow. That's all he wanted. He just wanted to go to school. Yeah. And of course we did it, but um, I did a photo shoot session with him, which unfortunately the photographs are forever gone. But um, he just knowing his story completely changed me and the way that I shoot and how I do what I do for other people because it was undescribable to be a 16 year old and have somebody so unfortunate come to your, your help and ask you because of the country that you're from and because of the color of your skin and because you have a car with you and because you have all these privileges. And I taught him how to use a computer and within 10 minutes he writes out a thank you note for teaching him how to use a computer. Oh my God. And it was, it was, it was, it was, it was heartbreaking at the same time, but it was so good to figure out that like we could get him away from like his living situation because like it turned out like his father was the town drunk and there were, he had several other brothers and sisters who were also struggling and he just made the decision to just walk away from it all. So we wow. stayed in contact for um, a long time um, until he finished middle school and graduated from the mission and went on to school in, in Nairobi. So that was that was one of the most influential people that I've ever photographed because it helped me realize a lot of my own privileges at the same time. It wasn't just pretty pictures like these were very meaningful like the very first photographs he's ever had of himself wow. so that's amazing especially at such a young age i think it's important to have those kind of like eye-opening and brain-opening experiences um to to recognize that you know but you also had to have some level of self-awareness at that age to say Ugh that feels different, you know, and not just see it. Right. Like, yeah. So I think that's really uh, interesting too, that, that like stuck with you so much that it literally changed um, the way that you shoot and the way that you do the things that you do. And now look at all the like work that you're doing, which is amazing. Um, so I want to know, is there a mantra or phrase that you use? And it maybe has changed over time, but like when you are like, 
stuck or like when you're frustrated or um, when you feel like kind of at the end of your rope kind of thing, like what, what is a mantra or phrase that gets you going again? I have two. Okay. Um, because I've been there a lot <laughs> and uh, I feel that way a lot. Um, I get stuck and overwhelmed very easily with all of the disabilities that I am living with. And um, one of the most beneficial things someone ever taught me was the phrase, start where you stand. And it's very simple, but it can apply to so many different things. Like if you're standing in a messy room, you just start where you stand. Just pick up what's around you. Don't focus on the entire mess at once. Just spot to spot, do what you can. And um, my second one is the fuck it coping mechanism. Okay, <laughs> what's that? I like the sound of this. <laughs> it's uh, something me and my therapist developed over the course of the years that we've been together. And uh, it's basically like when everything is at your wit's end and you have nothing else you can possibly do, you just admit it and you go, fuck it. And like, then you do what you got to do. That's like digging the heels in kind of thing. The the grit. That's what I like where you're like, you know what? That's it. <laughs> yeah, that's <laughs> I just like lean into my anger a little bit and let myself have it. <laughs> yeah. Well, and that I think too, like anger that way, like when you get that far is like anger is a great motivational tool to be like, you know what? No, we're not done here yet. We got shit to do. <laughs> um, I got a lot of anger in me and it is like 90% of my passion is fueled by my anger. <laughs> there you go. Well, you know what? Uh, change <coughs> happens as a result of that. So um, as much as I don't want you to feel angry, it is helping in some capacity. So there is good of that, I guess. It's holding its weight. <laughs> there you go. It's making it kind of worth it, maybe. But also, I don't want you to feel angry. But <laughs> But also, yeah. Um, so yeah, so as somebody that does exist, like you exist at your own intersections of oppression, like you said, uh, you exist with uh, like a lot of different disabilities um, and yeah, and so on. So tell me a little bit, oh, and, tra and trans, you, uh, you said, is it agender? I don't want to say it wrong. Um, so yeah, so what has that been like, like running a business as somebody that exists at all these different intersections compared to what we see and like hustle culture and like, as a, as a business owner, we're like, oh, if you're not hustling hard enough, it's your own fault. And like all this kind of stuff, like, how does that feel as something that does exist at these different intersections? Not good. <laughs> it, doesn't, it doesn't feel good to see everybody measuring your worth based off your bottom line. Um, the amount of classism that exists within our community is outstanding. Uh, I like to advocate for taking on as much work as you can without overworking yourself and building something slowly but surely versus like taking on $100,000 worth of sessions in a year and working every single weekend. I can't do that. Uh, with my disabilities, I can only work part-time. Yeah. So my, my full-time is part-time. And people don't understand that. When I tell them I'm part-time, they assume I'm not really a business. They don't think that I'm doing this for the bread. 
They think I'm doing it just for funsies. And it's not been that way for me. Like before I became physically disabled, I was working full time and I was doing that hustle life. And you know what? It wasn't good for me. And no. it, it didn't help me grow any more than, you know, spending the time and in investing in the right educational resources and really like trying to get into the community and making friends versus trying to make the most money. Um, well, we all want to make the most money. And I totally understand. <laughs> I, I, I'm not saying I like being part-time. Like, it's, it's a struggle to afford living full-time on a part-time ability. Yeah. Um, and it's hard because as a mentor, people will come to me because for business things and they'll think I'm less talented than other business owners because I don't make as much money. And it's not really about talent for some people. It's, it's about, you know, what, you know, your class level is going into business. Someone who has the equity to pay multiple employees throughout the year and pay for marketing in order to get the inquiries to keep and pay for your studio all year long, plus paying for the upkeep of your studio. And, a you know, building your business takes another stream of revenue. And yeah. you're me, I don't have another stream of revenue because I'm not able-bodied. And a lot of that doesn't translate over to people when they look at me. They think, oh, you're only making X amount per sale? Um, you must not be. You must not be. Well, that's when... <laughs> One of the one of the things that I, from the very beginning, I always was like, I am not like, well, I like I don't have any disabilities or things like that to contend with. I also am not pulling in the big like, how, yeah, I don't even know how much people make like ridiculous amounts of money. And like I and like, that's great. I love that for them. <laughs> that's what I love. But like one year I did. I did. I was making like significantly large amounts of money and I that was the year I hated my life I don't remember anything I don't remember my clients I'm, maybe I made a difference I don't fucking know I wasn't having fun doing it I can tell you that much because I lost sight because of what I thought as a boudoir photographer you had to do and so I think that's one of the things like with the boudoir university, the whole intent is like, yeah, that's great. Like you can, there's people teaching pricing and things like that. But I'm like, let's teach you how to be an empathetic human. Like, let's start with empathy and like, and like, what work are you doing that is for you as a human before you're a photographer? Like, let's get your human under control. <laughs> so that way it's like, you make as much as you need to make to live and do the things that you want to do but you also enjoy the process. I think that's really important. So, um, but yeah, like I just like, if I'm feeling the pressure of like, you're not making enough money and you need to be charging more and doing all this stuff, then as somebody that exists at different intersections, I can imagine that it would be that much more compounded and make you feel not so great. Yeah. And like, and like, yeah. And that's the thing with like, well, I like Facebook groups cause I have one. 
I like it. Great. Love it. For community building, I also think they can become very toxic and um, not super great for people to listen to their inner compass, I think is the best thing. Um, and so I think like you do a really good job of staying focused on who you're working for and why you're working and the intent behind it. And I think that's really awesome um, that you're doing that. Uh, so yeah. So is there anything, uh, we'll, we'll wrap up here shortly, but is there anything that you would like to share with, uh, my very small, but awesome community? <laughs> um, just, uh, listen to marginalized people. <laughs> One more time. They just kind of cut out a little bit. Listen to marginalized people. Ah, yes, that is a big one. We had an incident in uh, my group, and uh, as as it was you that posted the thing um, about paying uh, black trans people to model, right? Was that what it was? I think that was the yeah. that was trans or and or black trans people. Like yeah, but basically anybody that is like oppressed, different. Like yeah, basically you should be. Let's just be clear. We should be paying people to model for us in general. It is a job and it is time. And they don't just need a bajillion photos all the time. <laughs> They're a think. model. They can get photos anywhere, even if you're the best <laughs> photographer there is. Yeah. Like, I understand some people want to trade for friends, but like saying, oh, I charge thousands for my <laughs> I would never shoot someone for my. I would never pay anyone. I'm yeah. Like, oh God. It's like give, give them the option then. Say, here, I can give you a thousand dollars worth of photos, or I'll give you a thousand dollars. Which one do you think they'll choose? <laughs> you know, and I think I think like that post was really awesome. And um, yeah, and uh it was hard for people to listen to to marginalized folks on that post but it did a good job of weeding out the assholes in the group so i was happy oh, to yeah. get <laughs> it was like i think in facebook it's like quarterly this has to happen like so if you want to drop that again in like three months, yeah just drop it again we'll just like we'll use it as like our, our thing to get rid of people okay, cleanse. yeah yeah exactly the new year's coming it's cleanse season anyway so we might as well start it off that way that's the only thing people you should be cleansing next year okay let's be clear is cleansing the bigots from your life thank you and on that note we will end this podcast so i will post all of Ez's information in the podcast description so that way you can go follow them and love all the photos because they're all amazing uh, and all that good stuff and stay tuned because as is doing again not just one but two courses uh, for the boudoir university and maybe more in the future but we're starting with two we'll start we'll start with the seven the seven pillars first and then go from there but thank you so much for being here as and it's always a pleasure thank you bye there we go just